welcome to The Wellbeing Room. I'm your host, Leah Cooper from The Centre of Key. In this podcast, you'll hear stories of my own wellbeing journey and you'll also be meeting some special people along the way who'll be sharing their stories too. As you listen, I hope you get inspired to improve your own well-being and get more out of life. Welcome to the Wellbeing Room. Today, I'm super excited to have Sophie Green, who is an author, a Sydney-based author, here with me in the Wellbeing Room today. I first came across her writing when I read The Shelley Bay Ladies Swimming Circle, and I really love that book because... It reminded me so much of Manly Beach and I have a feeling that's kind of where she based it, but she changed the names. (laughs) And then I went on to read some of her other books, um, the inaugural meeting of the Fairville Ladies Book Club and Thursdays at Orange Blossom House. And uh, I really enjoyed that one specifically because it had a yoga teacher in it and um, that sort of really resonated with me as I am also a yoga teacher. Um, now I reached out to Sophie recently when she was posting, there's my dog saying hello, hello Flint. Um, she was posting her top 30 tips for sustaining creative practices on um, Instagram and YouTube, uh, sorry, Instagram and Facebook. And I was just um, really enjoying what she was sharing and I reached out to her and she's kindly agreed to be on my podcast today. So welcome Sophie, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're right in the middle of promoting your latest book, uh, The Bellbird River Country Choir. So I really appreciate you taking the time to meet with me today. Thank you very much for inviting me, Leah. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I guess we'll start with the books mm-hmm, <laughs> and we'll, sure. we'll merge into some more <laughs> well-being things as we go. But um, actually, firstly, I'm really curious, you know, how you came to become a writer. Like, I don't know much about your sort of history and, and if you care to share a little bit about, you know, how you came along this path and, yeah, where it's taken you. Sure. Uh, so I had written, ghostwritten some nonfiction books and that started quite a few years ago. I work in publishing by day and sometimes those sorts of things come up uh, when it's nonfiction and uh, when you're editing nonfiction. And then a few years ago, I started writing about Australian country music. And I mentioned this because this, there's absolutely no way I'd be writing fiction without that. Mm. So what led to that was that I was in an, a country music band and I was at the point I joined the band still a bit of a snob about country music because I'd been listening to to American country music uh, of a certain kind and I thought that's what it was. But then we played at the Tamworth Country Music Festival and that completely changed my life and continues to change my life because what I saw was a, a huge audience for Australian stories. Everyone very happy to be there and Tamworth is our largest Australian storytelling festival of any kind. It's the only festival that completely prioritises Australian artists uh, and if you're a foreigner in Tamworth I like to say you're playing on the street usually so um, a lot of Australians play on the street as well because the busking is really good but uh, it was it's just been a really interesting experience to go back there year after year and look at that audience for Australian stories and then when I started writing about it 11 years ago it was because I'd actually been extremely sick uh, of the critical care variety and I had been teaching yoga for many years by that point, but I I was incapacitated. I could not teach. And in fact, I've never gone back to a regular class since then. Uh, but I realized that that was my creative practice. And I hadn't realized it before that point in time. I hadn't, I just thought of teaching as a somewhat mechanical thing, I guess. Hadn't realized that the amount of energy and effort I was putting into coming up with a new sequence every week and what I was doing while I was actively teaching was creative. So uh, while I was recuperating, 
I started working again from home, but I really felt the need for a creative practice. And so I thought about country music and years before I had uh, lived in Vancouver, BC and worked on a street press magazine as a volunteer and I'd done interviews with musicians and written reviews and I thought, oh, maybe I'll write about Australian country music since I love it so much and maybe I'll get some free CDs out of it. And uh, I researched publicists who were looking after some Australian country music artists and sent a very honest email saying I'm just starting out and I and, uh, don't have an audience yet. Some of them very kindly sent some music my way and some interviews my way and I've always loved interviewing. So I started doing that and uh, as I said, 11 years ago and now all this time later, I don't ask any publicists for anything. They send it to me. I um, I recently switched to doing interviews on video because I realised that's better for the artists and their fans. And uh, so that that website's been going for a long time and, and it's a really rich community to be in. So where it led into me writing fiction is that without that discipline of writing those posts and also having to think about translating music which is quite a tricky thing sometimes trying to describe and translate music to to an audience who haven't heard the song or the album yet that was really good discipline and I and I was really aware that there were readers after a certain point I could see the stats and I knew people were looking I knew the artists were looking their publicists and record companies were looking so I was writing to an audience and uh, and I wanted to do it professionally even though it was and remains a hobby I don't earn any income from it uh, so that was, yeah, that was just great writing practice over and over again and it remained so. So when uh, someone dared me to write a romance novel a few years ago, <laughs> I thought, okay, well, I think I, I, think I could do this. I, I'd always thought I'd have no fiction stories in me, but I really enjoyed the structure of romance and so I wrote a few novels under a completely different name and uh, then that evolved and one day I was sitting on a bus from Catherine in the Northern Territory going to Darwin and it was uh, heading into dusk and I was looking out the window and looking at the colours changing beside the road and thinking about how people connect with each other over a landscape like that. And my mother and my godmother have maintained a friendship over great distance for decades now. Uh, my godmother's in the Riverina, my mother's in Sydney. They were nurses together in Sydney many, many years ago and then my godmother went back to the Riverina and they've never lived in the same place twice but uh, they have maintained a very, very strong friendship. And so I thought about that and then I was thinking about territory and I thought, well, maybe there's a story about how people connect over distances and that's how Fairvale was born. Yeah, brilliant. just so beautiful. I, I love that. I love how you describe that, that process of coming, the story sort of coming to you just by that, seeing that and thinking, you're making those connections. I think that's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's really, and I love how you describe the, the different places you, your books are set in very different places like the one you've just mentioned that's sort of more the outback mm -hmm. remote area and then you've got another one that's in sydney near the beaches um, it is manly by the way yeah. uh, but <laughs> but interestingly uh I, it was manly until quite a, a way into it but then when we came to do a title mm. manly doesn't work very well in a title no so uh yeah. that's so it was manly and shelly beach yeah 
yeah. as you know. And then I was talking to the publisher and uh, she suggested Shelley Bay. And so I thought, okay, I can make that work. Yeah. And then, you know, your other book, you know, you've got one in Far North Queensland and then another one, this most recent one in sort of, you know, regional New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really bring those different landscapes to life through your descriptions, I find, and through the characters, how they experience those landscapes. Is that something you that you know did that come really naturally to you then I think it came naturally in Fairvale because I just love the territory and Mm. uh had been to Catherine a few times by then and uh had done that bus trip quite a bit and 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 also knew a bit about rural life so uh between looking at lots of books of photographs of of uh, cattle stations of the territory and mm. putting my, that together with my memories that came easily and then manly yes because i grew up near manly yeah and i i swam at that beach and i am a swimmer i swim at a harbor beach in sydney uh, but you know there's not as much drama in a harbor beach as no. in an ocean beach <laughs> exactly <laughs> i thought that so i could write that very much from memory but um yeah when it came to writing orange blossom house which was set in cairns I had grand plans to go there to do my research in person, but lockdown meant that mm. that was not possible. There was there were a couple of weeks in 2020 when it was possible to travel, and by the time I thought about going, we were locked out again, and yeah. then that was the window had gone. So I I relied on my own memories mm-hmm. then and photographs. Uh, so doing a lot of research and photographs more than anything, yeah. and then with Bellbird River that is set near Tamworth between Tamworth and Corindai. It's a fictional town. Uh, it's just easier that way. I, th- yeah. I thought about setting it somewhere real and thought, oh, I could run into trouble there. Um, <laughs> so but that landscape I know really, really well and yeah. actually did go last year just to drive that highway again and, and make sure it was as I'd remembered it. Mm. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's very vivid, I think, anyway. And, um, yeah, it's just lovely to see a book where the Australian landscape is really highlighted and the, the beauty of it, you know, you've got the birds and the different trees and yeah, it's, you know, I like that. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank no, you. I, I love that landscape. I think, yeah, well, it partly stems from the fact that uh, when I was a kid, my parents would drive me and my brother up the New England highway every yeah. year to Queensland oh, for a wow. holiday. Yeah. And, you know, we'd look out the window a lot of the time. And yeah, then, yeah. Or we were going to see my godmother in the Riverina. So we were we were getting quite a bit of New South Wales mm. from the inside of the car. And the New England Highway is great because it goes through towns. Yeah. And so you have to slow down 50Ks, mm-hmm. 40Ks sometimes and yeah. you're looking around and then off you go and uh, speeding back up to 100 or whatever it is. But it's a lovely road. And mm. so I think a lot of that time in my childhood year after year really informed my love of the Australian landscape yeah yeah all right so let's change tack a bit (laughs) Um, uh, from a writing perspective I'm curious how you fit in that into everything else that you do because you're obviously working Mm full-time and I guess this is like a well-being question in a way because you know you have these goals to write um, or this desire to write Mm -hmm. um, but you're also working and having a life outside of all that as well. So how do you balance what you do, what you love, um, so that you don't, you know, burn out or, sure. you know, lose sight of the bigger picture? I think the the key for anyone who's engaged in creative activity is to first understand their own nature. And mm-hmm. so once I understood how I worked, I didn't fight it. And so the way I write is to do a lot very quickly. 
and then I then a fallow period suits me. So once I understood that, and I've been like that since school, mm-hmm. um, I thought, okay, well then I can ride on public transport to and from work. So mm-hmm. that twenty minute period I get on the ferry in the morning, I could just burst out a lot. Then it also helps. I have to admit that I touch type, yeah. So I can get a lot of words out quickly. <laughs> And then it's good. I have the rest of the day when I'm not thinking about it. Uh, but then as I walk back down to the quay from where mm. I um, am in the city, I've got time to start thinking about it again. So by the time I get back on the ferry, mm. uh, then I can just get into it. I also plan a huge amount. So uh, each novel has had more planning than the previous one because I mm. appreciate the value of it. Yeah. So I do character profiles. I do documents that have major plot points and then I do a colour-coded table where I start to plot the entire thing and each character each main character gets color yeah so I can see the flow of points of view going through it that document will change as time goes on sometimes I think well all right what I've just written and this happened to me yesterday I wrote something and and I thought oh this has changed (laughs) changed (laughs) from what I planned okay so I'm going to spend a bit of time working on the on the table Mm. so that the changes are reflected and that will likely happen again because the character's tell me how it goes really yeah so I can think that I have their story worked out but something will always change and I am not uptight about that I just think oh well that's changed that's fine I just keep flowing with it so I think um keeping it tightly planned like that has certainly been the best way to reduce the amount of worrying I may do about it because I am a born warrior so if I didn't have all that stuff planned I might sit down to write and then start thinking about it. Oh, what am I going to do? Or even question whether I want to do it. I don't question it. I just mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's certainly times when I think, I'm a bit tired. And I think, well, if you don't get it done now, it won't get it done. <laughs> so just do it. Yeah. I love but that, that again, it comes back to nature. And uh, I'm, I have mentioned in many places the Four Tendencies Framework by Gretchen Rubin, who is an American writer. And she wrote a book called Better Than Before, which is about habits. And she introduced the framework, which she created. And then she wrote a whole book on the four tendencies. And there is a quiz called the four tendencies quiz. And that I think is the best tool for working out how you organize yourself when you're engaged in creative practice. So I am an upholder, as is Gretchen. We are the just do it tendency. Uh, It can mean that we're quite rigid. So it's like, oh, I've decided I'm doing this now. That's what I'm doing now. Uh, And so we can walk spontaneity sometimes but uh we don't need accountability and so obliges which are the largest tendency tend to need accountability and um we uh, upholders don't so that's why we can just say all right i'm doing it um but there are downsides to every tendency and positives to every tendency there are other tendencies are questioner and rebel but i really encourage people to go and take that quiz because i think a lot of people who are obligers probably beat themselves up about the fact that they're not doing it when they want to do it and they don't really understand why and they can see it as a failing that they said they want to write this novel or whatever it is and they haven't achieved that um, or haven't achieved much of it and as Gretchen would say it's not a failing it's just your tendency and once you understand how to support that tendency then things change so yeah I'm definitely going to be looking that Um, up after this it's a revolution (laughs) (laughs) yeah actually I was listening to a podcast on the weekend and they were talking about productivity and there was a mention about you know goals like why we actually shouldn't set goals but rather have systems and Mm -hmm. they were talking about you know if you wanted to write a book for instance you know you have a system where you write so many words per day um, rather than have this 
big goal of writing a book, you know, by a certain mm-hmm. point in time, rather just have a system in place where you, like you do, you know, you're writing so much every day and showing mm-hmm. up consistently to reach that bigger goal, but yeah. having that as your main focus. Does that make sense? It does. But again, I'd say to that, if that, if that works for your nature. And so I think mm. partly that's why um, it is really important to not fight who you are intrinsically. And I also say things like if you're an owl, not a lark, Mm. don't attempt to get up really early and do it then because you're just not going to be as functional as you would be late at night and if you know you're an owl trying to fit in the lark world because office hours are for larks really Mm. uh, then try to to adjust as best as you can so you make the most of that time when you're most focused and when you're feeling most creative because I think there's a lot in in western society in particular that can take us away from what works best for us and, and what our natures are. And and in terms of well-being, mm. it's really a lot easier when we accept who we are and not try to be someone else and not trying to fit in someone else's system. The planning documents I do wouldn't work for everyone. Some yeah. people just want to sit down and write with no plan mm. and that works best for them and that's great. I just yeah. can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> that's I, me. <laughs> I have a detailed plan too and I actually have a whiteboard with different coloured post-it there notes for each character <laughs> set out in a timeline and no yeah then I'm like oh no I've got to change that now but um yeah so I think I, I'm kind of similar but I'm definitely going to take that little quiz and, and see where I fit into that scheme sounds yeah. really interesting thank you for sharing that it's quite all right she also has a podcast which I find ah. interesting because people will write in with questions like oh I'm, my mother-in-law's a rebel how do I handle that those sorts of things yeah so, wow yeah. excellent yeah. Oh, I'm definitely creating that <laughs> afterwards now I just just back to your most recent book I, I loved reading it I oh, thank you. found it hard to put down you know I was like eating reading and eating and reading in bed <laughs> like <laughs> reading wherever I could um, but I, I read it through and then I just flicked back to the start again and I, I read the start for each character and I was I didn't really notice it the first read through but when I read it the second time I really noticed how you introduced each character and their sense of place um, of where they are, um, mm-hmm. you know, one of some of them just arriving in this place or some have been here for a while, but that you also give a little bit of their, you know, their history and they were kind of left wondering what's, what's going to happen to them, you know, where are they heading? And, um, I figure that's a really good writing strategy. I'm just wondering, like, is that something that you've honed over the, you know, the last few books that you've written, or is that just a, an approach you chose for this particular book or, you know, how did that sort of come about? I think I always approach those first chapters for each character thinking about uh, being polite to the reader, actually. Yeah. It's like um, I'm introducing you to this person for the first time. I, I need to get you comfortable with where you are in the book and who they are. Um, I think it's discourteous to the reader to leave them wondering about things mm. because then they can get distracted and start thinking, well, who is this person? Why are they here? And why are they going off there? So if I can put as much information as possible in those early chapters without weighing it down mm. uh, then that's what I'll do and I and I will cut things out if they're not relevant because I am a believer that every sentence should advance the story so whatever detail I'm giving is relevant and mm. uh, I will I will leave out all sorts of other things about the characters that I may know yeah. uh, but which the reader doesn't need to know so it's just a way of, of getting people comfortable in the story and I try to do it as efficiently as I can so that yeah. then we can move on to what's actually happening in the bigger arcs within the novel yeah yeah such a big process I've been discovering I've been working with a book coach writing coach and yeah getting lots of 
interesting feedback about these sorts of things. So yeah, it's it's lovely to hear you mention these terms that I'm now sort of familiar with. <laughs> Just good character arcs. And also, look, I think it's it's great to to work with someone, um, but also trust your instincts as a reader because mm. we all start out as readers, and yeah. I think so much of it is just knowing what works for you as a reader and what you respond to without overthinking it actually because you can really start to pick apart mm. what you're doing and wondering if it's the right thing and yeah. then you start to get away from why you're doing it in the first place yes. and what feels right for you and I'm very fond of talking about what feels right in the body because I think it is any creative act is really physical we mm. like to think of it probably as coming from the brain but it comes from the mind yeah. And the mind and the body, as you know, uh, yes. the same system. So it is really, really physical and uh, we can try to think ourselves into and out of certain things in our creative work. It's like, oh, well, I think in the novel I should do X, mm. but really you've got a niggle. You can feel a niggle and that's it's not right because so you, you try to talk yourself into something that you yeah. feel is not right. Yeah. So really for creators trying to get in touch with what they feel I think is really important and that's where having a practice like yoga mm. is great because it's not just about brain. Uh, it, it helps you really understand how your body works and the signals it's giving you. And uh, I think teaches you to trust your body mm. more than we may be taught to trust our bodies, particularly as girls and women. Yes. Uh, when there are so many signals given to us, which suggest that our bodies should always be different from however they are. Yeah. That it's never going to be right. Apparently. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, so let's talk about yoga now. Yeah. <laughs> let's get to the it's real the thing. Way. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're really here. No, we're here just for everything. But yeah, I actually, I, I love your website that you have where you talk about yoga and you've got these amazing tips, you know, misconceptions and questions that you answer. And there are some absolute gems that I love <laughs> that you put on there. I'm thinking of, you know, printing them out and sharing them with some of my students. But um. I'm interested to know how you began your yoga practice. You started way back in, was it 93? Three. Three, yeah. 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 That was the time of church halls and garages for yoga practice yes. in Sydney. <laughs> uh, look, I was, I was always quite um, active. I did ballet for years as a mm -hmm. child and did swimming and all sorts of things. Didn't do sport while I was at school because I don't like team sports and that's pretty mm -hmm. much all that was on offer. Mm -hmm. um, this is an upholder thing that don't like I've noticed we don't like team sports. I play tennis against my best friend every week. Yeah. Uh, we do not want to play with each other to play doubles. We are no. not interested. We only yeah. want to play against. And yeah. um, we became best friends doing that. So um, <laughs> so ind an individualised uh, physical practice suits me. Mm. Uh, so I, but I was quite active and I was working in a bookshop while I was at university and one colleague said, oh, you should go to yoga. Now at the time, I think yoga was was considered the lunatic fringe and you had to be in some kind of cult yes. if you were practising yoga. So I thought, oh, I don't know about that. Had barely heard anything about it. And then I mentioned it to another colleague who said, oh, you should try Iyengar yoga. I think you'd like that because I was doing all this other activity. So mm -hmm. I looked in the yellow pages as existed then yeah. and saw that uh, there was a, a Karingai yoga school and I lived in the North Shore, of, upper North Shore of Sydney at the time and I called and said, do you have an Iyengar yoga class? And she said, yes, Mondays at 7.30 p.m. And it happened to be in a church hall that was right up the top of my very long street. Oh, wow. So yeah. up I trotted to the church hall and the teacher's name was Judy mm -hmm. and Judy would be my teacher for over 20 years. So really mm -hmm. that, yeah. that whole principle of when the student is ready the teacher appears mm -hmm. 
was right then because she had the the right balance of elements. There was no whale music going on, which wouldn't have appealed to me then. Probably still doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, she was really pragmatic and, as I would find out, Iyengar yogis, and she wasn't teaching strict Iyengar, but that had been her training. Mm. Very information-based and yeah. it's it's, it's physical. precise. Yeah, it's very precise and, and can sometimes be seen as humorless. Um, she has a great sense of humour. She was very precise. There was a lot of information. And I think because my body knew ballet, I really mm. responded to a lot of it. Holding forms, that was something I knew how to do. and. Yeah. I remember in that first class thinking, oh, maybe I could be a yoga teacher and then thinking, don't be ridiculous because um, <laughs> it was my first class. But I yeah. kept going back and she was always generous with information in terms of the history of yoga and, and other practices apart from asanas and meditation and pranayama. So I found out a lot from her and uh, went off and did my own reading. And then uh, at about the seven-year mark, she said to me, oh, it's time for you to start thinking about teaching. And I said, oh, I'm not ready because I really felt, again, in my body, I felt like I was not ready to teach. I yeah. thought I haven't been a student long enough. So I do sometimes see people who go off to teach quite early on and think, mm, I think it's a good idea to be a student for a while so mm. you understand what your students will be experiencing in all sorts of combinations. Because by that point, you know, I'd dislocated a shoulder um mm. actually in a workshop taught by someone else okay. um, so i'd have to had to work through that restriction you know they having injuries when you're a student if you're on the path to teaching really helps mm. you understand mm. the limitations people can have yeah um so she kept saying it <laughs> and eventually i just said okay, what do you want me to do <laughs> and uh she said go and do a diploma for medial massage because that's how you'll learn anatomy and physiology so i went and did that mm. and then she said um at the time, there was hardly anywhere to learn how to be a yoga teacher, but mm. the International Yoga Teachers Association, yeah. IYTA, was had been around for a while, and that's where she sent me. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, "Look, you, you know, your real teacher training is with me, but go there to get the structure and all that sort of stuff and get mm. the certificate." And so I went there, and I was the only person who got in with a non-IYTA teacher. And there was a little bit of sniping about my Iyengar background. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought, whatever, like you yeah. let me in. <laughs> and yeah. and, uh, and then as soon as um, I'd been, I was close to finishing, Judy's like, great, I'm off on holiday. You can fill in for me. Oh, wow. Throwing so, into um, the fire there. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was baptism by fire. And uh, particularly because the very first class I taught, she was actually um, teaching a workshop with, Rodney Yee, an oh, American okay. teacher, yes. and she'd taken all the props. And, of oh, course, no. if you have an Iyengar background. Yeah, you need props. Prop. And so I remember walking into the studio and thinking, um, <laughs> oh, I've no. constructed a class using props. So that was my first lesson in having to adapt. Mm. And thereafter, teaching continued to be a huge challenge but also very rewarding. And I, at a certain point, realised that I could plan that class to the nth degree but it was always going to change. Like a novel will always change while I'm yeah. writing it. Um, so I needed to just trust myself to leap without a net basically mm-hmm. yeah. and also learn to step into the flow of the class and realise that there were things that were happening that were not necessarily comprehensible from a very rational brain point of view. Mm-hmm. There would be changes I would make to what I was teaching and I think, why have I 
why have I done that? And then at the end of the class, someone would come up and say, oh, I really needed whatever mm. posture that was that I'd yeah. thrown in without yes. knowing. Yeah. So all those sorts of woo-woo things that can happen when you're teaching and when you're practicing as well. But um, I just learned to to accept those as completely normal and mm. to trust trust that process, know that for 90 minutes I was in this place energetically that uh, that meant I had to hold the space for people. I was mm-hmm. always aware that anyone who came into a class wanted a positive transformation. They weren't just coming to exercise or they w- would have gone to do a gym yeah. class, mm-hmm. um, aerobics class. They come in wanting something to happen and only they know what that is or they may not know what it is. I don't know what it is, but it's my job as a teacher to make sure they leave in a better state than when they arrived. Yeah. And that is a heavy responsibility and mm-hmm. I'm sure you felt that too. Um, it is an honour mm. to have that and I'm always conscious when I teach that I'm stepping into a lineage that is thousands of years old yeah. and I have to honour that as well. This is not just me saying I want to teach this and this is what I feel today. It's mm, I really need to honour that practice that has come before me now for the last few years I, my teacher's been Shiva Ray who's an American teacher oh, yeah, yeah. and I learned from her on video and mm-hmm. I started to change my teaching to uh, incorporate some of the elements she brings into her teaching and that is that now when I'm coming up with a sequence I think about what where we are in the moon cycle where we are relative to equinoxes and solstices what mm-hmm. the season is yeah. um, and and what the weather is um, yeah. so if it's windy it's like okay well it's a different practice than if it's not and if it's if it's been raining then I need a different practice to if it hasn't been and yeah. all of those elements um have made it really interesting mm. um I guess challenged me further in terms of how I construct a sequence but all of it is also relevant to how I write so mm. uh, I think the I can I can see those parallels coming through and I and I said I wouldn't have written without writing about country music but I definitely wouldn't be writing without yoga practice mm. and a lot of the work Shiva has done over the years around creativity in the body certain practices that can unlock it and sustain it and she is intensely creative herself and synthesizes all of this knowledge that she has yeah. about dance as well as yoga and she studied She's she's the only person I know of who's studied with Iyengar, Krishnamacharya, and Patabi Joyce. Oh, wow. uh, so not Krishnamacharya, sorry, um, Desika Chara. Yeah, yeah, not sorry, yeah. yeah, he was dead a while he was before dead by now. Then, yes. um, no, Desika Chara, Patabi Joyce, and Iyengar, and um, <laughs> and studied with a lot of other people. And she also has uh, university studies in dance. So she really brings all these elements mm. together. Yeah, wow, um, sounds very rich. Yeah, it is. And um, so I think that's inspirational too, just that mm. idea that you you can bring all of those things together and yeah. not not have to have a plan, mm. just trust the process. I love opening up to that idea of you're kind of like channeling almost, I think, in a way when you're teaching, mm. or at least I find, you know, you sort of somehow get this download of what's, there and people at the end they're like oh you know thanks it's like you did that class just for me you know (laughs) and it's always lovely feedback isn't it when you get that because I think it also reminds you that yes you can just trust that you will channel what's necessary because when you start out I think there's a lot of doubt self-doubt about oh I'm not gonna know the right thing but once you reach the point of accepting that there's some kind of channeling happening yeah yeah great it's really satisfying yeah And, and speaking of channeling um 
I, I guess I'm, I'm curious again about the characters in your, in your books <laughs> coming back full circle. Um, you know, do they, do you feel they sort of are channeled into you? Like, how do you, how do they, how are they born? How are they, yeah. how do they evolve? Once I have the location and the year, mm. um, I tend to just sit down, um, not to meditate, but, but if I, as if I were about to meditate, just say, okay, who is here? Yeah. Who is around? Who wants their story told? And sometimes they come through quite strongly and nudge their way through. In Bellbird River, uh, Gabrielle came through really early and strongly and I knew she was Victoria's cousin, but as I lined up the characters, I thought, I can't have five because mm. I haven't had five since That's... Fairvale and I know they wanted me to have fewer than five. Mm. But, oh, no, I can't have five. And so I took her out because I thought, well, she's Victoria's cousin. I could just pop her with there. But as I started to write, mm. she absolutely refused yes. to be a secondary <laughs> character. She just kept demanding attention and I thought, okay, well, there are five and uh, I'll just have to manage any objections on mm. the editorial side. Um but she just remained a very strong character. And so some mm. of them, like Debbie, who's in Bellbird River, she I just she was there right at the start, but I, it took me a while to get a handle on her because mm. she, as is her nature in the story, is quite self-contained and, uh, and self-reliant and she's not really forthcoming with a lot of detail. And that's how mm. she was with me. So I, they're not real people, as in I, I don't kid myself that they're real people, but um, they do have separate existences to me so it's mm. that very odd thing that happens whereby I think oh well I have created them but then yeah. their lives are separate to mine and once the story's over they just carry on their lives yeah. uh, the, the book that most people have asked for a sequel for is Fairvale okay. and I always say no I left them in the Northern Territory in 1981 and it's yeah. up to you what happens to them next yeah so as in up to the reader I just I don't mm. know they carry on their lives and mm. That's it. Yeah, and I, I do love how you you do set your books in a certain place and time. It's not necessarily the present. It's you know in the eighties or the nineties or the early two thousands. And um, yeah, what what made? I mean, you mentioned just before a bit about when you were in um, the outback and mm -hmm. you had a sort of set time period in mind then. But is there something that lead, leads you towards a certain time period for your books? Well, this was all started because in Fairvale I wanted the first book the ladies read to be The Thornbirds and mm. I knew that that was published in 1997. Sorry, 1977. Yeah. <laughs> Where am I? COVID has ruined we were my just sense talking of talking before about dates and times just melding into one, so it's okay. <laughs> Who am I? What, is, what day is this? Um, 1977, Colin, yeah. when Colette released The Thornbirds and I thought about how long it would take for women in the Northern Territory on a cattle station to hear about this book and be able to get hold of it yeah so that's what put that novel in 1978 and then after that time I just thought well I don't think I really want to jump from then to um to the present day so I actually made Shelley Bages to fuse uh well actually I think quite close after that yeah, and then the I started 80s. to think about what would be the right time frame for each story and partly it's because I really don't want to deal with mobile phones. No, that's right. That's why I'm setting my book in the early 90s because I don't want to deal with mobile phones either. Like really, like from a pacing point of view, it's like I don't think I want to deal with that. So um, yeah. I've just kept it there. And and with each novel I've put in certain cultural signposts mm, yes. and a lot of readers seem to enjoy that because yeah. it, it takes them back to that time in their own lives. So, yeah. so it's fun. Yeah. It's fun doing that. 
Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, it's time for us to wrap up. So I've got my final question for you. Um, what is one key thing that you can share with us that has helped you to improve wellness and get more out of life? Uh, look, I think for me, it will always be around moving. So it will always, the thing that, that preserves my wellness, mental and physical, the most is making sure that I move every day. And that is whether it's walking or uh, any, an intensive, you know, bar workout or being on the mat or swimming or whatever it is uh, I know that that's critical for me um, and if I can do it outside even better so I'm yeah. I think that's probably two part of and I think that, that being outside being in the natural world is really crucial that's who we are as as humans connected mm. to the natural world and without it um, I think we just turn in on ourselves really in all sorts of ways so yeah getting outside and moving Yes, beautiful. I couldn't agree more. And I would, I would love to talk to you for uh, and with you for a much longer period of time. I have so many other questions, but we are out of time. So thank you so much, Sophie. It's been such a joy and a pleasure to have you in the wellbeing room today. Um, I wish you all the best for your latest book that is out. Um, I know you're doing a big tour or, you know, a, a semi big tour, <laughs> I guess you could call it around um, New South Wales and Victoria. I saw some dates there. So I'll put some links in the show notes to where you can um, find out more about Sophie and her books. And um, yeah, I really look forward to another book in the not too distant future. Maybe you've got something that you're writing already. <laughs> yes, yeah, I have a deadline in a month's time. So oh, wow. yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You are a busy lady. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Leah. It's been great. You're welcome. It was such a pleasure to have Sophie Green in the wellbeing room for this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. I really loved hearing about her love of country music and how that inspired her writing career, uh, her journey to becoming a yoga teacher and also the creative processes behind the writing that she does. If you'd like to read any of Sophie's books, I've included a list of them in the show notes below. You can find them in your local bookstore, online bookstore or even in your local library. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Just a reminder that if you are enjoying listening to The Wellbeing Room, I'd love you to leave a review either in Apple Podcasts or in Spotify. There are some links and information on how to do that in the show notes as well. Thanks again for joining us in The Wellbeing Room today. I look forward to welcoming you back in the next episode. Until then, stay well. <laughs>